1: This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 The Answer
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy Uh, Amy will be with us shortly you know, when winter comes she's got to put those cross-country skis on her jalopy so it takes a little bit longer to get to work when it snows, so Uh, We'll be joined by Amy shortly. So as anticipated per our conversation in the eight o'clock hour yesterday with Gina Swoboda, former director in the Elections Department, the Arizona Secretary of State's office, Carrie Lake has lost the governor's race in Arizona. Uh, There were some conservative talk show hosts that got a little out over their skis on Friday, um, not paying particularly close attention, apparently, to how these things work and how they work. as. We said last week on the show, the longer goes a protracted vote count, the more unlikely becomes the chances for the Republican candidate to win when we're talking about statewide races. We've seen this play out over and over and again. Honestly, at the statewide level, I cannot remember, other than Bush-Gore, this occurring to the benefit or the ultimate resolution in favor of the Republican candidate. And that took the state Supreme Court of Florida and the United States Supreme Court to intervene. Uh, and this is going back you know, to 2020 and beyond races like Norm Coleman against Al Franken. Uh, I remember the Dino Rossi governor's race in Washington state. So, uh, yeah, as anticipated, uh, Katie Hobbs has been declared the victor in Arizona by, by 25,000 vote margin from what I last saw with about. 5% well, of the vote to be counted.
2: Yeah, I uh, but actually, well, I actually, it's it's 20,000 now. With yeah. fifty, Katie Hobbs, 50%, Carrie Lake, 50%, and she won by 20,000. Hmm, doesn't that sound familiar, Dan? Didn't Trump lose by 20,000 votes in Arizona, too?
0: They're nothing if not consistent, but again, in, in case you thought there was anything hanky going on in Maricopa County, no, no. Andrea Mitchell, uh, Mrs. Alan Greenspan, uh, had this to say on MSNBC.
3: Oh, okay. And, Mark, let's talk about what we've learned from, for instance, what's happened out in Maricopa County, what's left out
2: there in terms of how the vote keeps, you know, coming in. Despite all of what has been said by Donald Trump and other election deniers, and now beginning to be also Kelly Ward, who's falling behind about, uh, you know, King Bob, Hobbs. But for the governor's race, Maricopa County had some of the best vote counting processes because of past problems. Yeah, (laughs) Is she high? They've had four voting cycles in a row. Maricopa County, Pinal County, Pima County have had problems where a week after an election, then we'll know who the victor is.
0: If Andrea Mitchell doesn't see problems, I don't see problems. Uh, What you saw over the last week in Maricopa County is an indication of the very good vote processes they have in place. That's what you get from the D.C. Press Corps. So just get used to it. And by the way, if you would echo any of the issues raised by uh, Carrie Lake, or as Andrew Mitchell calls her, Kelly Ward, uh, then you're an election denier. So you know you want to wear the jacket of election denier. Then you ask these uncomfortable questions yeah. about vote tabulators and toner cartridges and the like. Go ahead, but you're an election uh, denier well, if you do.
2: They're calling her. Mainstream media is calling her, and the election denier candidate, uh, Carrie Lake. Lost to Katie Hobbs. Katie Hobbs is an idiot, and I don't say that lightly. I am telling you, she hid in her basement. I called my reporter friends in Phoenix and in Tucson. Hey, J- hey, Gibby, J- how often was she there? Was she meeting with reporters? Like, no. She rarely held campaign rallies. She she had campaign fundraisers. She'd go to rich people's, liberals' houses in, you know, Creve Corps or Scottsdale and in Tucson, and she hid She's got a twin sister who's smarter than her, and uh-huh. she hasn't been in charge of the election. She's Secretary of State of Arizona. Shame on her. She did this, and, the, you know, she wasn't winning, so then they waited late, and now I'm becoming a conspiracy theorist between this and what happened in Nevada. And my aunt gave her life to get laxalted. I mean, she has spent years working with him as a candidate, and she knew when I called her, I said, things are looking great. She said, Amy, you no, know, they're going to steal it like they did last time.
0: The longer the count goes on, the more unlikely it is the Republican will win. At least that's how it exists and current form and has existed for some time. There's no question about it, which uh, prompts all sorts of questions we'll get to. But now this is the backdrop of a big announcement today at Mar-a-Lago from President Trump, uh, ostensibly announcing that he's going to run for president for a third time in 2024. Laura Trump, his daughter-in-law, was on with sky news in australia uh, talking about what may transpire today she had this to say i
4: hope it's a very historic event um if indeed he does decide to run again and that's the announcement we hear on tuesday i'll tell you i was there for the 2015 announcement of uh, of course for his first run for the white house and gosh i didn't really realize i think in that moment how historic it would be, and, and how poignant a moment that was in my life personally, but for all of the country and really the entire world. Uh, so, look if you're lucky enough to find yourself in South Florida on Tuesday, highly recommend stopping by Mar-a-Lago. You, I don't think you'll ever regret it.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Lara and Eric and Don Jr. and his betrothed Kimberly Guilfoyle are all on board, and then there's questions about whether. Ivanka and uh, uh, Emo Phillips, her husband, are on board. I'm, I'm not sure that it matters that much to the outside world, but it apparently mattered to Trump. At least that was some of the scuttlebutt coming out of Tiffany Trump's wedding over the weekend. So we'll see who's on stage today, tonight, when uh, President Trump makes his announcement.
2: 312-642-5600, answer line. You could also reach us always on our text line. Six four six three six. Type in "da" then a quick comment.
0: Now, Lara also addressed the prospect of uh, Ron DeSantis challenging President Trump, oh. and where President Trump used vinegar, Lara used some honey.
4: I think that Ron DeSantis is very smart. Look, he's a young guy. There will be a lot of opportunity for him in the future, and he knows this, to run for president. And so I think he's probably waiting to see what my father-in-law does. And I think he's a smart enough guy to know uh, that it would be great to have all the support of this party, of the America First, MAGA movement, whatever you want to call it. Fully behind him in 2028, then possibly, you know, fracturing it in 2024. I can tell you those primaries get very messy and very raw. We've experienced that before. Um, So, wouldn't it be nicer for him? And I think he knows this to wait until 2028.
2: (laughs) Oh, that sounds like Hillary Clinton when Barack Obama was thinking about what he's like well he's young he has plenty of time I like it's, it's my time now not mm. his time mm. well mm-hmm. she's
0: uh you know working in service of of her right. father-in-law so you understand it but that's probably a better approach than
2: uh than <laughs> Ron
0: him the way that yeah, Donald Trump did probably better than the Ron DeSantis route Brian in St. John Indiana
2: hey just a quick
5: question what's the current house count how many seats are still up where they
0: at and why it taking so long. That's all I got. Well, Thank you, Mike. Yeah, thanks for the call. I mean, it's uh, like 2.16 to 2.07, I think, in called races, so they're two away from the majority. It's going to happen. Uh, you know, it's unclear if it's going to be 2.19, 2.20, 2.21, but Republicans will take the House, and thus you already have the uh, potential fight over who will hold the Speaker's gavel, ratcheting up uh, with Andy Biggs from Arizona. Uh, being suggested as someone who will challenge Kevin McCarthy for the speakership. Um, so, you know, 216 to 206, uh, 207, to 220. So there's, um, you know, a dozen seats out and um, you know, they're spread. But I, I got to tell you, um, thinking about what happened on the House side, you can't help but look at New York oh, where yeah. there were real gains in uh, in Long Island In part because of Lee Zeldin's strong performance, uh, including taking out the DCCC chair, Sean Patrick Maloney, Republicans did. Yeah,
2: people went to the polls to vote for him and then voted for their congressional members. Yeah, but there's
0: something else too there that's important in this larger conversation about understanding what happened at the midterms, which is it wasn't the gerrymandered map that the Democrats in New York wanted. Uh, The gerrymandered map that Democrats in New York wanted got thrown out by a judge And so it was a map that was more evenly distributed, consistent with sort of Supreme Court uh, dictates when it comes to the uh, attributes of maps. You know, contiguousness, compactness, respect for municipal boundaries. And that provided an advantage. Remember, this was the first year of new maps around the country, gerrymandered maps in a lot of dumb states that would be. You know, cartographers like the same we have in Illinois that make it exceedingly difficult, much more difficult if the maps were less gerrymandered. That was the case in New York. And as it turns out, that may have spelled the difference between Republicans taking the House and Republicans not taking the House.
1: Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile.
6: is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local, family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630, and learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at signaturebank.bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, equal housing lender.
1: America First with Sebastian Gorka. Today at 3. Right before Sean Thompson at 4. On AM560. The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. President Trump with a big announcement tonight at Mar-a-Lago. And, of course, it's anticipated that he will announce that he is running for president again in 2024. Victor Davis Hanson, uh, a pretty strong, consistent proponent of President Trump, you'll note, but uh, not blind to his flaws, has a good piece in American Greatness, amgreatness.com, about uh, this imminent announcement what are we going to get what path is trump going to choose is he going to become a scapegoat a tragic hero a kingmaker here are the three choices the three paths before trump as vdh lays them out which do you think he will choose which should he choose will trump rest on his considerable laurels and ride out gracefully to mar-a-lago And there, as a kingmaker, elder statesman, will he work to institutionalize his MAGA agenda while raising money for any presidential candidate who embraces it? That's one. Unlikely.
2: I don't think that's going to happen, but all right, what's two?
0: Two. Or will a subdued candidate Trump now pivot, grow quieter, and let people vote in the primaries to decide whether they want him anymore? And whether Ron DeSantis sinks as a 2016 Scott Walker on the national stage or assumes the mythical status of Ronald Reagan? Will Trump grow, now pivot, grow quieter, and let the people vote in primaries to decide whether they want him anymore? referendum on him?
2: That would be nice, but all right, what's three? Or
0: three, will an unapologetic Trump instead now escalate his slurs, bray at the moon, play out his current angry Ajax role to the bitter end, great mythological reference there from BDH, he is a classicist, and thus himself end up a tragic hero, appreciated for past service but deemed too toxic for present company?
2: Chuck, I'll go with three for 500.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably where the smart money is. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Uh, you know, VDH um, gives us a good review of the last uh, six years of Trump. Um, and the, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He sort of summarizes it, um, you know, this this way in terms of what Trump has endured. It was not Trump, but his enemies who weaponized the CIA, FBI, Justice Department. Trump, unlike Obama, did not spy on journalists and unlike Biden, he created no ministry of truth. His supporters did not call to junk the Electoral College, pack the court, destroy the filibuster or opportunistically add two new states. They did not radically change the voting laws through means that undermine the authority of state legislatures to end Election Day, as we had known it, for over three centuries. They did not turn balloting into mostly a mail-in early voting phenomena that saw the usual rejection rate of ballots plummet, even as the number of non-Election Day ballots soared. So that's what happened. That's true. But, but, if he had stayed out of picking candidates. If he had helped all Republican candidates, including those who opposed him, as opposed to celebrating the defeat of those who opposed him, like O'Day in Colorado. If at his rallies he had advanced positive commitment to America solutions rather than litanies of his own past hurts and grievances. And if he now pivoted and raised money for the conservative agenda rather than having trashed rivals who nonetheless have advanced his share cause. So what they did to him and what he did to himself in response— Now, he also did a lot of good in terms of exposing the they who did those things to him that Victor Davis Hanson recounts, exposing them for who they are, uh, laying them bare in the light of day for all to see. That's a service among the, the, the services Trump provided. But those ifs that VDH points to this cycle as the lead into 2024. If he had done those things that he didn't do, would he be in a different position now?
2: Would Carrie Lake have won if Trump wasn't involved? I mean, people are taking to Twitter saying that, and I thought, no. I mean, she was a—she reminded me of Trump, the way she campaigned and, you know, her attacks on the media. But she was part of the media, so she knew how it worked. Yeah, you
0: know, there's a— Actually, just on the whole, you know, Trump impact on the midterms where people are uh, using Trump as a scapegoat for all of the failures of the Republican Party, which uh, isn't quite on the money. You know, a lot of people could point to him so that they don't have to take any accountability for what happened on their watch as well while they're in positions of authority, both at the federal and state level. J.D. Vance, J.D. Vance, senator-elect from Ohio. Um, who you know had previously, as was talked about at rallies that Trump had for JD Vance, previously critical of Donald Trump in the early fate in the sort of early stages of Trump, if you will. But uh, as Trump said in a an all too infrequent fit of good humor at the rally for Vance, "Gosh, if I uh, dismissed everyone who was critical of me, then I couldn't endorse any candidate." You know, sort of being a little bit self-effacing and and not being so petty as he sometimes want to be, as we've seen with DeSantis. That was a good moment. And so both Trump and Vance got beyond what was initially said. And Trump was instrumental in Vance winning in the primary. And uh, and then Ohio's a red state. I mean, it just is. And Mike DeWine winning by 25 points. Uh, had a lot to do with J.D. Vance's victory. But as Vance points out in The American Conservative, something that a lot of people won't point out because they, they don't know, because they don't pay attention, they just repeat the whatever the pundits are prattling on, how, whatever they're offering in terms of the this is the definitive of what happened. You know, Tim Ryan, who always cast himself as the great champion of The Working Man, And a lot of people got used to voting for Tim Ryan, and he had the credential of challenging Nancy Pelosi for the speakership to separate himself from the leftists who control his party, at least to attempt to, even though he's completely thrown in with them. Uh, And he's from a blue-collar area of Ohio, Uh, and he's an incumbent, and we saw the advantages incumbents have, particularly with money-raising, which J.D. Vance gets to. But, you know, Tim Ryan, as Vance points out, spent the— Summer. Advancing the notion that, you know, he agreed with Trump on all sorts of things. Of course, he did. Of course, Tim Ryan did, because he knew that's where you needed to be to try to win the votes that had moved from, you know, uh, blue dog Democrats to Trump voters. So, you know, just just understand that in sort of the the context of that particular race that played that tells you something about the state, too. And the demographics matter. Um, but he um, he goes on to talk about the in the fundraising infrastructure that Democrats enjoy, the advantage they enjoy over Republicans. And this sort, turns out to be, you know, pretty important. You need money to drive a message. You need money to build campaign infrastructure uh, for field operations and and get out the vote and Election Day work and so forth. And you go and look at some of these Senate races in particular, and the advantage that Democrats have with Act Blue, their national fundraising platform, where 21 million individual donors shovel small donations into every marquee national race. It's why John Fetterman, he writes, was able to raise $75 million for his election. Republican small-dollar fundraising efforts are paltry by comparison, and Republican fundraising efforts suffer from high consultant and list-building fees where Republicans pay a lot to acquire small-dollar donors. This is why incumbents have such massive advantages, writes Vance. Much of the small-dollar fundraising my own campaign did went into fundraising and list-building expenses. If and when I run for re-election, almost all of it will go directly to my campaign. Democrats don't have this problem. They raise money from more donors with lower overhead. And... um um uh, he he uh, just goes on to you know explain this in more detail giving additional examples as we've talked about on this show you know Mark Kelly in Arizona 70 75 million dollars Blake Masters 12 you're seeing some of this criticism coming uh out in the direction of Mitch McConnell for spending millions of dollars trying to keep Lisa Murkowski in the Senate in Alaska While she's running against a conservative in Kelly Shabaka, why are you spending that money for Murkowski when it's going to be a Republican seat, whoever wins, as opposed to trying to get a seat for Republicans, spend that money to try to get a seat for Republicans like Laxalt in Nevada or Masters in Arizona? Now, uh, the flip side, as Mark Thiessen has argued, is that McConnell spent, you know, $250 million on candidates that— won the nomination for Senate race for for Senate races around the country and that were backed by Trump. Well, right. He did. But that's his job as the Senate minority leader. That's his job. And when you raise half a million dollars, you're supposed to spend it on candidates, whoever the nominees are in winnable races, you know, it's sort of in rank order priority based on their winnability. And so why are you in Alaska spending a cent? Uh, let Murkowski and Shabaka battle it out. What that tells you, the the, the the rank and file, is that McConnell's more interested in protecting his position as Senate minority leader than he is in winning races and trying to grow the numbers in the caucus. And that presents a problem, which is one of the reasons you're hearing calls for a challenge to Mitch McConnell and pushing off the vote for minority leader, as you heard from Ron Johnson this week over the weekend. We played yesterday. Um, uh, you know, to push this off for a month, like Democrats are doing, and let's have time to breathe and discuss and debate and think, uh, you know, think a little bit, be a little bit reflective about who we really want to lead and what we're trying to do as a party. So it's just interesting. JD Vance rallying to the defense of Trump here, um, who rallied to his defense in the primary in general, and, and he and he um, says. Uh, Let's just I'll read a little bit more of what he says. In competitive states, every non-incumbent candidate was swamped with cash by national Democrats. This is true for Trump-aligned candidates like me, anti-Trump candidates like Joe O'Day in Colorado, and those who straddled both camps. The House tells a similar story. Every person blaming Donald Trump or bad candidates endorsed by Trump ought to show a single national marquee race where a non-incumbent beat a well-funded opponent. The few exceptions, New York among them, don't tell an easy anti-Trump story. Perspective. I mean, there's a lot of variables when you're trying to uh, make a yeah, yeah, take sort of understand holistically what happened and then funnel it into sort of action items in, in terms of what needs to be done to uh, address some of the at least some of the problems identified in advance of the 2024 election that will well will begin in full swing today, I think. Are you guys uh, ready for it? <laughs> Mike in Plano, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer.
7: Hey, guys. Yeah, I could care less for what Mark Thiessen says. Same with Josh Holmes. Those guys are back in a senator that has got a 7% approval rating. He's a single-digit midget. So we shouldn't care at all that those people have to say. So, 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 stop,
0: stop, stop focusing on the, on the person and focus on the message. I mean, let's just focus on the message because because it's not just Mark Thiessen saying it. I mean, you want me to read you part of Kurt Schlichter's screed about Trump from townhall.com? Is Kurt Schlichter going to be somebody who's, you know, in with the establishment now? I don't think so. So, I mean, this is a conversation that extends beyond sort of never Trumpers and establishment pundits and so forth. So let's just focus on the substance of the issue before us.
7: Um, no, I don't think Kirk Schlichter's establishment. I th- I think right. he's a-, a Twitter smack talker. I don't really care too much for him either. But uh, okay. uh, what I was going to say about Trump is that um, if he announces he's running, um, I hope he keeps Ivanka and Jared away from him because they're the ones there to polarize into the base. I mean, I, Jared did some good things as far as foreign policy in the Middle East. He's not places. a bad guy. He's very smart. But I mean, him and Ivanka—they're both globalist liberals. They're not conservatives. We saw it out of Ivanka, you know, with all the uh, globalist uh, stuff she was pushing uh, with the UN and all that. And then uh, so, 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 where are, you best... on,
0: where are you on Trump, DeSantis?
7: Um, I I don't know yet. Uh, I don't okay. think Trump's really uh, taking a shot. To say, I think he's more taking a shot at the establishment backers. Um, I think he's just playing games, but. Uh, We'll see how it plays out. But one last thing about Ivanka. She was the one that was pushing uh, paid family leave,
2: too.
0: So I don't want them to anywhere near uh, domestic policy. Well, they might
2: not even show up today because I don't think they want him to run. But we'll see.
0: Thanks for the call, Mike. Well, I'm not sure if they don't want him to run or they just don't want to go through what they went through. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I don't think Jared and Ivanka were particularly positive influences on Trump. But the problem is... It's difficult to find a positive influence on Trump because it's difficult to identify somebody that he listens to and takes seriously if that person disagrees with him.
2: Well, I thought he always listened to the advice and counsel of Mike Pence. And I felt comfortable knowing that Mike Pence was there because he's an experienced uh, good politician. And then last night I watched the entire interview with David Muir. Then there was another you know, more in-depth story at 9 o'clock. And Trump threw him under a bus after all that he did for him. I mean, some could argue that he left him for dead downstairs at the Capitol, you know, in the loading dock. That's didn't a little help dramatic. Him. Well, it didn't um, help to pick him up and <clears throat> didn't do anything to stop it. I yeah.
0: Well, well he, here's the thing. Um, you know, Mike Pence, who's got a book out now, is running for president, too. Mm-hmm. And while, while I think Mike Pence is a long, long, long shot for the nomination, so um, he will be around as long as he can be, as long as the, he's able to raise money and hang around. And, you know, the interviews that he's giving right now, where, of course, the press corps is going right to Jan 6, and he was on with Hannity last night as well, was Pence. They're not helpful to Trump because they keep no. January 6th front and center, and the criticism is coming from your vice president. This is what he said to David Muir, as you were mentioning.
8: p.m., the president tweets, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done.
9: It angered me. But I turned to my daughter, who was standing nearby, and I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law. Takes courage to uphold the law.
0: I mean the President's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. And it's not just that criticism from Pence. It's the response it's likely to generate on the trail from Trump. And if he continues to relitigate Jan sixth, in addition to relitigating the twenty twenty election, then he's it's not arguing helpful. about past things and perceived wrongs done to him he's not offering something prospective about what he would do for the party in the country
2: right and mike pence i mean he's following the constitution he couldn't return the votes to the state and he told trump that twice he said we lost the election he told him repeatedly we lost the election this is a process that needs to take place now and trump just would not accept it
0: tina joliet hi good morning
10: i just want to say i i I love Donald Trump. I've supported him. He was everything we needed in 2016. But these always Trumpers are just as bad as the never Trumpers. I want to win in 2024. We can't. The country can't afford another four years no, of we what can't. we're experiencing now. And Ron, St- for him to come out and attack probably the strongest Republican in the country right now is so reckless to me and it it, that was the the, there are other times where i've cringed at things he said but this time i felt like okay buddy you know maybe it's time it's time for you to take a backseat. now i feel like he's being driven completely by ego yep and everything i appreciated about his boldness and his his fighting nature if if he's going to turn it on a guy who is the best governor in the country, who's done the most in his state, then that, to me, says, you know, I will walk away from that. I will 100% walk away from that. A lot of people feel like that.
0: (laughs) Thanks for the call, Tina. Well, I mean, this was the um, VDH reference to Ajax, the mythological figure, who uh, fought Odysseus for Achilles' armor, as I recall, and lost, and I— I won't spoil it for you. I was going
2: to tell that story, Dan.
0: (laughs) But it didn't end well for Ajax. No. I'll just leave it there. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Simple question. This uh, tweet from the National Education Association, you know, teachers union, NEA, nft same thing teachers unions they share brain educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need to learn and to thrive educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need to learn and to thrive is that right Three one two six four two fifty six hundred Turnkey 5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636 da turnkey.pro text line is that right Why not? I mean, even
2: the best teachers that you've had in the world, there's other opinions. That's why you question authority.
0: Educators love their students and know better than anyone <laughs> what they need to learn and mm. to thrive. The students.
2: Is that coming from CTU, with the uh, red shirts?
0: N.E.A. Well, CTU yeah, yeah, is just CTU. a yeah, branch of same it's difference. The so, mothership. I know there's uh, everybody's consumed with talk of Trump and 2024, even though we're. Still not through 2022's midterms, really. House oh. races outstanding and so forth, leadership in the both chambers. But, um, you know, n- not just the next races being school board races in the spring and municipal races, but also an understanding of what's happening in our schools that drives what's happening in society writ large, that drives, at least in part, the election returns you're seeing particularly in the more educated wealthier suburban enclaves of the country so do you want to can we can we walk all the way back to the starting point and take stock of from where we are starting to understand how things are finishing the way they are Educators love their students to know better than anyone what they need to learn and to thrive. An innocuous statement? Question mark?
2: They, they just eliminate parents in that statement. Because
0: well, they want to have
2: control of our kids, and so does the government rather than us.
0: As Miguel Cardona, the education secretary, explained. Uh,
2: He's a mimbo, too. I met him.
0: Whew. He explained a while ago that uh, parents are a stakeholder a stakeholder in their children's education. You're the best. What he didn't say, but what is implicitly implied, is that the teachers' unions are the primary stakeholders. And if it hasn't become clear over the last uh, couple of years, your kids are there to learn to serve the state so they can grow up prepared to serve the state. So this was and it's interesting, too, thinking about the midterm. So you had this revolt in Virginia that put Glenn Youngkin in. You had a revolt uh, in twenty twenty one that almost upended Phil Murphy in New Jersey.
2: Well, That's right.
0: That took out the state Senate president, New Jersey, the truck driver who spent a few grand to take out a sitting Senate president in Democrat, New Jersey. And then that revolt fizzled. I mean, it may not have fizzled in particular places. We've played uh, clips from parents standing up at school board meetings across the country, challenging their school board, fighting on behalf of their kids with respect to uh, racialized and sexualized curricula. But we had this momentum going in 2021 particularly in the form of what happened in Virginia and in those wealthy, highly more wealthy enclaves of the more highly educated like Fairfax and Loudoun and
2: anticipated. And you'd think soaring inflation and an in crime would get people to vote Republican even more so since that point. And it, it didn't. It fizzled.
0: Well, maybe maybe part of the. Forward looking agenda that wasn't presented Was that fight that was happening in 2021 that was front and center in the governor's race between Yunkin and McAuliffe. And it wasn't front and center in a lot of these races, both at the federal and state levels. Maybe this is part of what we need to contemplate getting back to. And we're going to have the perfect platform to do it. School board elections in 30 states come the spring. Because there's um, a lot on the line, and what's on the line is growing, both in terms of uh, trouble and opportunity. A new study of nationwide hospital databases found that between 2016 and 2019, more than 1,130 adolescents received gender-affirming chest surgeries in the United States. The study published in Journal of American Medical Association Pediatrics, JAMA Pediatrics, saw a nearly 400% increase in adolescents aged 12 to 17 obtaining chest surgeries during that three-year period, 26 to 2019. And I would suggest over the uh, subsequent three years, that's probably increased based oh, yeah. on what we're seeing. Now, that's uh, a small number of a large population, but it's growing, and so are the negative consequences, so are the Adverse outcomes, to borrow a phrase from our COVID days, which are still with us. Chloe Cole is one of them. Chloe Cole is one of these kids. And now she's filed a med mal suit against those medical professionals who treated her and pushed her as a 12 year old into moving in the direction of gender reassignment, including a double mastectomy. She was on Tucker Carlson the other night.
11: So I'm. It's a medical malpractice case. I want to hold the adults who put me in harm's way accountable because, I mean, what happened to me is horrible. But it's also, it didn't only happen to me. That's the worst part. It's happening to children all over the U.S., all over the, all over the um, all over the West, and it's spreading all over the world. And yes. I want to be able to create a precedent for other people who have been in my situation to find justice themselves. I was 12 years old when I first expressed to them that I had distress with my gender, with being female, and that I wanted to transition to male. And they they were concerned, and they wanted what was best for me, but they weren't really sure what to do with me, so they sought professional help. And from then on, I was basically affirmed in my gender identity without any questioning from any medical professionals, and they pushed transitioning as the way to treat gender dysphoria. When I was 15 years old, I had a double mastectomy. They removed both of my breasts, and I will never have them back. I will, as an adult, I never will be able to breastfeed whatever children I will have. I don't even know if, because I was put on puberty blockers and testosterone at only 13 years old, I don't know if I'll even be able to conceive a child naturally. I'm 18 years old now, and I'm... Quite frankly, I am devastated with what has happened to me yep. i it's It's been very hard to cope with the the loss of my breasts and ah. um it's it's affected other areas of my health as well um I'm really not sure about the overall picture of my reproductive health and um, i've been ah. the treatments have made me very very sickly actually
0: educators love their students and know better than anyone what they need to learn and to thrive because the affirming that's going on is not just from the medical community and there's there needs to be a reckoning there as well there has been to some extent when it's been exposed vanderbilt shut down their yep. ghoulish clinic after it was exposed by um, matt walsh uh, tavistock across the pond in mary old england shut down too after the assessments were Um a lot of negative outcomes. They the gender reassignment zeitgeist was not helping these young people. Surprise, surprise. And in the schools, of course, they're doing the same thing, both with the curriculum from the primary grades to, as we heard from teachers in California at a conference, game planning how to work around parents who won't get on board. With their child, with their child assuming a different identity, demanding to be called a different name, addressed with different pronouns, and ultimately, uh, in some in some cases, in many cases, going down this path to puberty blockers and mutilation.
2: Three one two six four two five six zero zero. Turnkey Pro Answer Line six four six three six. Type in D A. Then a quick comment.
0: I know. I that, feel so these, bad for
2: that girl, Chloe.
0: Well, there's so many, so many cases we've we've heard from many of them. The the people the detransitioners who are um, courageous enough to come forward and and are broken because of the choices they made as people that are not of the age to make those choices according to the law. But there's no adults pumping the brakes, parents, medical professionals, teachers. Where are they? Oh, by the way, conversely, yeah. police in Lloyd, New York, have arrested a woman accused of letting her 10-year-old get an arm tattoo, uh. as well as the tattoo oh. artist who inked the child. Oh, the, the 33-year-old mom was arrested October 4th. She was charged with one count of endangering the welfare of a child, a Class A misdemeanor. So the 10-year-old got an arm tattoo... And mom says, I thought it was, I, I didn't think it was going to be a permanent tattoo. I thought it was one of those stick-ons. But right. regardless, regardless, even if she green-lighted it, first of all, who needs parental consent for a tattoo? You don't need parental consent for an abortion. In California, you don't need parental consent to mutilate yourself as a 10-year-old. But you have to get mom's permission. I mean, New York's the same, and, and they will right. be, I'm sure, with the mutilation piece. Uh, but you have to get mom's permission for a tattoo, for an arm tattoo? And then you're actually going to enforce it? You're gonna arrest mom and charge her with a class A misdemeanor?
2: Well and so so,
0: so in New York, eighteen years old before you're allowed to make the decision to get a tattoo. But an abortion? Trans surgery? No problem.
2: And the ten year old he walked into the nurse's office to get, you know, Vaseline for the tattoo and she was appalled and she called the police on the mom.
0: Right. The arm tattoo is appalling because, again, the minor doesn't have the mens rea to make that decision. But uh, invasive surgeries? Not a problem. Whatever the 10-year-old says, do it.
2: And by the way, the boy's mother was arrested.
0: How upside down is this?
2: It's very upside down. So
0: is this a battleground on which we want to fight? Starting at the school board level. It's just, where you where you can't claim it's too big to get your arms around. It's your. It's where you live. It's your school system. They're your fellow parents with kids in the same schools.
2: And and again, the American Academy of Pediatrics fully endorses gender transitions for minors. Matt Mount Greenwood, They're based in Itasca. These people have all been
5: evil for years it just I'm just there's so many variables here and Danny hit it on the head it starts with the parents my kids don't go out of the house without understanding respect for themselves and respect for others and I feel bad for the people who want to try to transition my children or get into their heads to raise them God willing with morals and decency and respect for themselves and others and I think the root of it is at the parents level these people have been indoctrinated the parents have been indoctrinated for you know two generations now it's only coming to uh, roost right now. It's, it's sickening. I, and sue the doctors, go ahead. But what about the government who's pushing the regulations that allow the insurance companies to pay for this? Right? You could go right on down the line, but at the end of the day, it's the parents, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Thanks for the comment. Well, I mean, you heard from Chloe Cole when she said, my parents didn't know what to do, so they sought the advice of medical professionals. Right. Um, you know, in a in a different era, I'm not sure that would be the same. Meaning my parents didn't know what to do. It would have been so shocking, so unfathomable to allow your daughter to go down this path that ultimately led to a a double mastectomy at 15 that it wouldn't have been considered. I would say I'm not substituting a quote unquote experts judgment for my judgment with something that you don't need a, a medical degree to appreciate is life altering. Maybe I want second and third and fourth opinions before I allow my minor daughter to go down this path. But because it is so celebrated, I mean, I will say one of my favorite phrases. What a society extols, it begets and it extols this all of the institutions. And so it begets more of it. And otherwise, commonsensical people substitute the judgment of, quote unquote, experts for their own good sense. So I don't know what to do. I better just defer to the professionals, which is exactly what the NEA is saying with that tweet. No one knows better than us. Don't even think about substituting your judgment about how your children should be educated for ours. We know you don't. That's what they're saying. Randy and sandwich.
5: Dan, Amy, good morning. Um. I think America's been on this collision course for quite some time. And we can look all the way back to Hillary when she said it takes a village to raise your kids. And that sort of started us down this hill where the snowball is gaining more momentum, where you have teachers now that want kids to mask up and get the vaccine and just fall in line and listen to whatever they say and where we're allowing uh, kitty litter boxes in the bathroom because one kid decides he's going to be a cat that day. And when you pull back the camera and you look at this from a wider angle, there's some questions that really need to be answered on how we're going to fight this going forward. And one of the most important ones that I believe needs to be answered is this. If you send Ron DeSantis to the White House, And they start attacking him just like they did Trump. Does he have the money to go through these court cases? Does he have the thick skin to not cave because he's going to constantly be picked away during this fight? Where Trump, we know, does have the money and Trump does have the thick skin and he will continue to battle on. And I don't think we need to abandon now. Thank you. Have a good day.
0: All right, Randy. Thanks for the call. Joe Palatine.
7: Hi, good morning. I would like to thank both of you very, very much and the others on this uh, station that kind of keep all of us grounded. You you think you're going crazy and we're losing this. I don't call it United States of America. It's now States of America. And I just want to thank you because after listening to you folks every day, it kind of makes you feel, hey, you're not going crazy here. You just brought up a point. It's okay to do... To kill a baby, but you can't get a tattoo. And you go, what, what's going on with the morals in this country? So thank you very much, both of you, for getting up early. And all you did in this last election, I really appreciate it from the bottom of my
0: heart. Thank you, Joe. <clears throat> appreciate Joe? the call. Thank you. At the local level here, school board races coming up? Yep. If you disagree with uh, the NEA, if you are opposed to drag queens, scantily clad men pretending to be women prancing around in your school, if you're opposed to explicit pornographic material as part of your K- kids' K-12 curriculum, then just so you know, hey, suburbanites, you paying attention? Little pipsqueak fascists like Identitarian Daily Herald reporter Russell Lissow, they're on the lookout for you. They're on the lookout to oh, smear really? you. Oh, Russell bring it. L- Let's go. Russell Lissow, this Squeak fascist at the Daily Herald. If you live in Des Wheeling, Barrington, or Mundelein areas and learn of candidates for school, library, municipal boards in 2023 who are political extremists, <gasps> particularly anyone who wants to restrict sex ed, restrict LGBTQ rights, or ban books, let me know. Uh-huh. And then, if you, we already are seeing such candidates surface. You can email me at blah blah blah, blah blah blah. And you know, if you live in other school districts, tell me or other regions, tell me, and I'll, I'll put other people on it. Yeah, they're going to. If you stand up for sanity, for your children, kids' (laughs) physical and mental Mental well-being, then you're going to be targeted by these pipsqueak fascists with bylines at rags like the Daily Herald. Oh, so, that's going to be
2: good. Because Barrington, so, they're already getting a group together you know, to run. Right. They're very so, active so, in that. We're going to have So
0: understand where the battle lines are drawn. Mm-hmm. And when you get calls from these pipsqueak fascists at these rags, these Pravda-like rags uh, in Chicagoland, they pay attention. They are the comm shop for... Other pipsqueak fascists in public office and their financiers. Focus on the substance of these issues and bring the fight. Bring the fight. Simple questions. Is that right? You're just a stakeholder in your kid's education, not the primary stakeholder. And of course, that necessarily includes the teachers and includes the administrators and coaches, and so forth. Of course it does. It's not ex- It's not either or. It's hierarchy. Hierarchy. That's the issue. And they want to put themselves at the top of the pyramid with respect to your children and displace you at the top. So you better establish who the king of the hill is here. Unless you want this to continue to go off the rails as we're documenting with examples from all over the country. Dan and Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer.
1: You've made the switch, and it feels so good. you switch switched to Chicago's Morning Answer an AM560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. So we still have uh, this runoff election in Georgia for the Senate seat currently held by Ralph Warnock. And, of course, Herschel Walker challenging him. Control of the Senate is no longer in doubt with the losses in Nevada and Arizona. But to maintain the 50-50 split and require a VP tie-breaking vote still provides more opportunity than 51-49. Yep. Uh, particularly with uh, some Republicans that tend to stray on any range of issues in the caucus and also the opportunity on occasion to bring some Democrats, maybe a couple of them, Manchin and Cinema, over to the Republican side on an issue or two, at least temporarily.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to be positive today. Very so, uh, elections. so what
0: happens in Georgia come the first week of December in this runoff? Now that uh, ex, now that sort of the heat has been tamped down on it, at least nationally. Well, to help us explore that, we'll please be joined by Janelle King. She's the co-founder of Speak Georgia, a panelist on Fox 5 Atlanta's Georgia gang and former deputy state director of the Georgia Republican Party. Janelle, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
12: Yeah, I'm happy to be back. Thank you for having me.
0: So it was just a few thousand votes that separated uh, Warnock from Walker. Uh, In the general, uh, do you expect the same in the runoff? Maybe a lower overall turnout, but it's going to come down to a few thousand votes again? You know
12: what? I think it's going to come down to what's motivating each side. Um, We definitely have some new factors in play now, knowing that this race wouldn't determine who controls the Senate. It would just put us back at 50%. So I do think it's going to come down to a few votes. Um, I'm not sure who is going to ultimately um, you know, take it, but I do think it's going to come down to that. But what we're looking at on the Republican side is the importance of this is a long-term game. This race is going to determine what happens in 2024. And, we, and, and one of the things that my husband mentioned to me is that if we, if we pick up this seat and we are in a 50-50 position, um, then that puts us in a better spot when it's time to elect our president. Because now our vice president, if we win in 2024, the Republican Mm -hmm. vice president will become the deciding vote, right? Um, Rather than, you know, the Democrat. And it's easier to flip one extra seat than having to flip two to gain majority.
2: So, Janelle, I just got back from Atlanta. My son goes to Georgia Tech, and I'm a bit of a local news nerd. So whenever I go in, I just watch news. And, you know, your campaign continues (laughs) until December 7th. The ads were crazy. (laughs) But watching local news in the morning, Brian Kemp is really stepping up, I think, to help Herschel Walker, and that's what's needed.
12: Yeah, it was surprising to me to hear that the Herschel Walker campaign did not reach out to the governor during the, the general. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was pretty odd, but, um, but I do see that Governor Kemp is assisting by providing um, ground support. And one of the things that he is known for, which I don't understand why other candidates have not duplicated, is having such a strong ground support. So I definitely think that um, that's the best way he can assist right now because I heard that Warnock is throwing, I think, $7 million into his ground game. So it's definitely time for us to, to combat that. Not to mention we do have Greater Georgia, which is um, founded by former Senator Kelly Leffler. So I do think that it's going to help um, to have a strong, strong ground game on top of what she's already producing and, helping, and supporting
0: us with. Yeah, I'm not sure in the in the general election, I'm not sure it was the lack of Walker reaching out to Kemp. I think it was the lack of Kemp being interested in uh, aiding Walker because he was running ahead of Walker and he didn't want to risk it. Because I, I know a lot of uh, conservative donors in Georgia, and I think they were a little disappointed at the distance that Kemp uh, put between himself and Herschel Walker. So uh, he has some, in, in my view, from what I understand, he has some amends to make here in this runoff, and I'm glad to hear that he's making them.
10: Well,
12: well, you know, you, okay, so that's, an in, that's interesting because um, when you look at what happened with Warnock, right, so Stacey Abrams kind of brought Warnock down a little bit because there was a lot of, a lot of Democrats who were supporting Stacey Abrams, um, and I mean, I'm sorry, supporting Warnock. But then when Stacey Abrams came onto the scene, she, they kind of highlighted certain things, and it, it hurt him as well. Um, so I think so if Brian, Governor Kemp is interesting. Even when I, when I supported him in 2018, when we wound up with the state party, he ran against Stacey Abrams the first time. Even going back to Secretary of State, Governor Kemp has always kind of been focused on everyone running their individual race. If you think about it, Abrams and Warnock didn't show up together a lot either. True. So it was, um, you know, so I do think that they were all looking at the polling numbers and saying, hey, it's probably better that I stay over here and, and, and run my own race so that I can help kind of pull di- votes in your direction, which is what I think Governor Kemp did. And not to mention, during that last debate, Stacey Abrams kept saying multiple times to Governor Kemp, how is it that you support our heartbeat bill, but you're not condemning Herschel Walker? So she kept trying to tie them together because she knew that that would cause the evangelicals who are um, upset with some of the information that came out against Walker, they would be able to tie that to Governor Kemp and it would hurt him as well. So I do think the overall strategy worked on both sides, um, but I, do, I, I am excited to hear that he's going to be providing ground support in this well, December 6th. Well, I mean,
2: break. he went on the air on, you know, local radio or TV station saying, you know, we should, you know, anyone who supported me should support Herschel Walker. But is he going to have a campaign rally with him and be seen in public with him? Is he going to do more than just provide oh, ground support? I don't
12: support? know. I don't know. And, again, I don't know if that would be helpful, too, because we still, you know, it's interesting my husband and I are getting ready to go speak in Troop County this afternoon. in, um, in it's another rural part of Georgia. And- one of the things we're going to talk to them about is this, this litmus test that I feel like is kind of permeating throughout our party. Um, and, and so you have people who you know, held their nose and voted for Governor Kemp because they preferred um, Senator Perdue or any other Trump candidate. Um, and then you have people who held their nose and voted for Herschel. You know, So the party is a little split. So I don't really know if it's going to benefit Herschel's team to have Governor Kemp um, on, the, on the stage because of how some people are feeling. Um, but I do think that this is something that we got to have as a family conversation with the party is that we can't turn into the Democrats and start creating these litmus tests. It's like, or you're not progressive enough like on their side over here. It's like you're not Republican enough because you know, you don't support president Trump or you don't support certain policies or, you know, I mean, I, I just think we got to be careful with that because we're supposed to be expanding the tent, not shrinking it. And you're right. starting to shrink it when you start cutting people out.
0: Well, and, and also it needs to be uh, all hands on decks, as you were mentioning at the outset, yeah. in terms of the fundraising. Um, uh, it's notable, and this is an issue that is getting a little bit more play now that we're a little bit farther removed from from November 8th. Going back mm-hmm. and looking at some of the numbers, the um, the outspending the Democrats were able to do Against Republicans in so many of these challenger Senate races, I mean, Warnock has raised one hundred twenty-five million dollars to, which is incredible in Georgia. To uh, Walker's like thirty-five or thirty-eight million, so he's getting outspent, or he did get outspent about four to one to only come in a few thousand votes down. And we've seen this play out with Fetterman in Pennsylvania and Kelly in Arizona and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, this is where some pressure probably needs to be put on McConnell and the fundraising infrastructure in the Republican Party to be all hands on deck for Walker the, in this last three weeks, too.
12: Yeah, I think that the, the, the fundraising aspect has always been an aspect for a very long time. I would like to see the party come up with a strategy where we're utilizing our money better, because typically Democrats, they, spend, they, they, they burn up a lot of money, but a lot of their money goes towards consultants a lot of their money goes towards media. So, but you, and then, you know, when it comes to the ground game, they've worked with a lot of different organizations to assist and kind of put that together. So I think with the Republican Party, we got to kind of do the same thing. I mean, when you have less money, that means you have to increase effort, right? So that means that you have to be on the ground a lot more if you're not in the airways a whole lot. So um, I think having that conversation will be beneficial to, to our side because we don't have... The, we, we've lost the culture war. So we don't have the entertainers. We don't have the athletes. We don't have these, these, these huge support groups that come from the culture to help fund money towards us like the Democrats have. So we have to find a way to, to, to make sure that we're utilizing the money we do have in the best way possible. Um, what but about, I do think that's something we can talk about.
0: What, what about the the Trump factor? I mean, obviously, uh, Trump lost Georgia mm-hmm. in 2020. Uh, he's set to make an announcement uh, tonight in Mar-a-Lago, probably, that he's running for president again. Does he help or hurt uh, if he gets involved to support Walker in the last three weeks before the December 7th runoff? And, and then more globally, what do you think about Trump as the nominee in 2024 as it pertains to Georgia? Mm-hmm.
12: So the Trump factor is very interesting. It's quite, quite interesting in that. Um, I think that when it all comes down, I do think that President Trump plays a interesting role. Um, I, I, I personally think that he would be a better kingmaker behind the scenes than being the king right now because he is extremely polarizing. I do think that um, whenever there's a referendum against President Trump, it does weight down and hurt some of the candidates that he supports. And we can't deny that. If you think about our, our election, let's just look at what happened with Walker. He and Burt Jones were the only two Trump-endorsed candidates. And Bert Jones won his lieutenant governor's seat, but he won it by a small margin. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that no one was watching the race. Um, when it comes to Walker, he, is, um, he, he, he and Warnock received less than 2 million votes. They were the only two candidates on the ballot that didn't hit the 2 million threshold. Not only that, but... 200,000 people who supported Governor Kemp on the Republican side, or I'll just say in general, did not support Walker. And then 100,000 people who supported our Labor Commissioner did not support Walker. So what we've learned about this is that you cannot force Republicans to choose between their values and their principles and whether or not they want to be a team player. Putting us against the wall, even in 2021, there are people who who felt deeply about the 2020 elections, and that's why they didn't show up in 2021 and vote, because they just did not trust the system. And that is putting them, again, up against the, up against the wall to say whether you should forego your personal values and then just be a team player. You can't do that with the Republican Party because of, like 99.9% of us are Republicans because of the values. We don't follow people as much. So I do think that President Trump poses that same challenge, right? It's like, am I going to... Forgo certain things that I that I support morally in order to support some of the some some of the things that he's saying, and because I understand that he's great when it comes to policy, so I, I don't know if it will be a benefit. I'm happy that we do have a possible option in DeSantis, but I just don't see um, how uh, Trump will be able to overcome some of, some of this the the, the, the the attachment to the narrative that's been placed on him.
0: She is Janelle King, co-founder of Speak Georgia, panelist on Fox 5, Atlanta's Georgia gang, former deputy state director for the Georgia Republican Party as well. Janelle King, thanks for joining us again, and good luck on the campaign trail.
2: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, and she joined us on our Answer line. Hear
1: about the big stories of the day, then talk about them right here on Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. <laughs> This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The
0: Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. What do you need to hear from Trump tonight if he announces he's running for president again? In order to contemplate supporting him to be the nominee in 2024, what if anything do you need to hear in order to consider supporting him?
2: Three one two six <sighs> four two five six zero zero Turnkey Pro Answer Line. You could also text us. from monitoring the text line at six four six three six. Type in DA, then a quick comment. I don't know what Dan. What do you need to hear from him?
0: Well, I'll get to that in a second. But first, oh, the uh, ultimate tease. Okay, previewing uh, tonight was Laura Trump, his daughter-in-law, married to one son, Eric. And uh, she's going to be with her father-in-law, as is her husband, Eric, tonight, as we understand it. She had uh, this to say in previewing this evening.
4: I hope it's a very historic event. Um, If indeed he does decide to run again, and that's the announcement we hear on Tuesday, I'll tell you, I was there for the 2015 announcement, of of course, for his first run for the White House. And gosh, I didn't really realize, I think, in that moment how historic it would be and and how poignant a moment that was in my life personally, but for all of the country and really the entire world. Uh, So look, if you're lucky, Enough to find yourself in South Florida on Tuesday, highly recommend stopping by Mar a Lago. You, I don't think you'll ever regret it.
0: Really, it's open invitation at Mar a Lago. Yeah, I doubt Dan, it. Let's go. No, <laughs> yeah.
2: like you're not that far. Jump in your car. Come on, do it for the show.
0: Uh, Laura also booked. addressed the prospect of a serious challenge to President Trump winning the nomination again. That would be one Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Here's what she said.
4: I think that Ron DeSantis is very smart. Look, he's a young guy. There will be a lot of opportunity for him in the future, and he knows this to run for president. And so I think he's probably waiting to see what my father in law does. And I think he's a smart enough guy to know uh, that it would be great to have all the support of this party, of the America First MAGA movement, whatever you want to call it fully behind him in 2028, then possibly, you know, fracturing it in 2024. I can tell you those primaries get very messy and very raw. We've experienced that before. Um, so wouldn't it be nicer for him? And I think he knows this to wait until 2028.
0: It's nice for Laura to be oh, so considerate so of Ron DeSantis's <laughs> interests. Thanks, that-
4: Laura. Again, that
2: reminded me of Hillary Clinton, like when she said Barack Obama's young, he has plenty of time to, you know become president. But when the window opens, you got to go. You've got to take the opportunity. And I think now's the opportunity for DeSantis. And you've said it many times. I mean, this is his last term as governor and we need him right now.
0: It's uh, sort of the Moonlight Graham thing. Uh You know, um, I thought there would be plenty more at bats, but it turned out that was the only at bat. And um, I think that's sort of the same thing in politics. You have to hit it when you're at the height of your opportunity and popularity. And it's tough to see Desantis in a stronger position in contemplating a national run even against a former president than he is now and frankly you know i'm uh where many republicans aren't um i'm a proponent of primaries because i like competition Great. it's odd that uh, so many republicans who are otherwise proponents of competitive markets don't want a competitive market when it comes to candidates for office i do so i think it's good to have desantis in the race and i think it's good for people to see the two and other candidates who may choose to run uh side by side or side by side by side by side and uh then you get to choose from a menu of options and there's nothing wrong with that 312-642-5600 turnkey.pro answer line 64636 da pro text line as far as the speech tonight yeah. Given where Trump is and the missteps that uh, I believe he made in the midterms and certainly in the closing days and subsequent days after the midterms uh, in attacking DeSantis and celebrating the losses of Republican Party yeah, nominees like Joe help, O'Day in Colorado.
2: doesn't help the party. It's a bad look. That.
0: Yeah, um, But in terms of tonight, you know, uh, Greg and Schomburg get texted – uh, does Trump need to do something akin to a Nixon checker speech? And I think that's a pretty good a pretty good um, comparison, pretty good uh, reference. So you remember Nixon's checker speech in 1952. He is running as VP with Eisenhower. And there's controversy surrounding a a PAC that was set up supporting the candidacy that was reimbursing him for expenses And allegations of corruption so this is like six weeks before the general in 1952 so nixon leaves the campaign trail he goes to la to do a 30 minute nationally televised speech addressing the issues talking about his addressing the allegations talking about his humble beginnings uh, attacking his opponents and then you know he invokes checkers his the dog um And, uh, you know, this this is the only real uh, campaign expense he cares about is caring for, you know, checkers, his dog. And, of course, this completely flips the story. Uh, It's received very well nationally. And and Eisenhower and Nixon go on to romp in 52. And does he need some sort of sort of mea culpa, uh, which is very difficult for him? Probably won't come in the form of uh, I was wrong or I apologize for this, but it could be presented in a way of being reflective, um, talking about the ability to do better, maybe without admitting wrongdoing. It's almost like a a, a out of court settlement. Right. No, right. Nobody admits any wrongdoing, <laughs> but, you know, but but. The but payment. there's
2: somebody who somebody was wronged. Yes. Well, somebody
0: pays and somebody receives. Right. So I think I think there's a, pay, you know, a rhetorical payment that Trump needs to provide to the Republican Party electorate, to a lot of them that are dispirited from the results of the midterms that are annoyed by some of his more recent antics and that are, um, you know, buyers of the story that uh, Trump was a drag on. Republican Party's chances in the midterms, both through candidate selection in the primaries and behavior in the general.
2: Our text line is blowing up. Dan and Amy, he's too much of a distraction. We need new blood. We need to hear that DeSantis is supporting Trump 2024. Then I would vote for him if DeSantis said yes. He's, uh, Dan and Amy, he needs to sound more civil and be able to rattle off facts. Information should roll off his tongue. He should be hyper-prepared.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brian in Wheatfield, Indiana.
5: Hey, good morning, Dan
9: and Amy. I just want to say I I'm totally on board with Trump's agenda. But I'm so scared he's just gonna make it all about him. It's gonna be all about the twenty twenty election and then you know, all that focus is gonna be on him. As much as I'd love to see like Trump for four years and DeSantis for eight, that being be like you know, twelve years that brings me close to retirement, things would look pretty good for me on you know, a selfish standpoint, but I'm just so scared this dude's gonna make it all about him and that's gonna be all it is. And
5: and then we're not gonna get anywhere any further than we are right now, so that's my worry.
0: Thanks for the call. Brian. Uh, all I know is
2: I, I can't take another four years of this, well six more years of living like this. I mean, you thought with the soaring inflation and high crime that people would vote for Republicans more in the midterm, and it didn't happen. So I don't know if Trump's the answer. But I, you know, obviously, if he wins the primary, we'd support him. But I just think that his time has come and gone. I'm appreciative of everything that he's done. Trust me with appointing Supreme Court justices and, you know, making a better business atmosphere, especially for small businesses. But I just don't know if I could stomach another four years because of his communication style. I mean, if he gets up there tonight and says, you know, I'll, you know, I mean, he's not on Twitter, but he's going to be reinstated to Twitter. Um, if he gets up there, and like, I'll be a different man. I'll be a I'm here for you. I want your life to be better, not my life to be better. To be vindictive against people who've prosecuted me, um, then maybe I'd consider it. But I don't know. It's going to be a big, a big, big call there.
0: What if he brings out instead of a cocker spaniel? What if he yes, brings out a a cat. a a cat, a tabby cat <laughs> named Checkers, and he says, "All I care about." He is winning this for my tabby cat checkers, you know, that Don okay. Jr. named.
2: And then he gets meow, meow. Yeah, yeah, with that changer. Meow, meow, yeah, mm-hmm. he looks, yeah. No, I. Yeah, no, it's going to take a lot more than that.
0: Alex Hinsdale.
9: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I'll make it brief, but, Amy, I think that, and I don't mean this to be condescending, they're lulling you into what they want to happen. Uh, just go with anybody else but Trump. We're looking out for the Republican Party. When the Democrats say that, they're telling you exactly who they're most afraid of. Uh, Trump has figured out the parlor game they played. All he has to say is is that from this day forward, it's going to be a new start, new beginning with me. But I, I know who the enemy is. We know who it is. Uh, it's not a shock. When he said that if we don't get the rules fixed in the elections, we wouldn't win, he was correct. So I think he can be abrasive. This is a contact sport. If we don't get ready, there's four or five states that they know. It's like me playing on uh, Monopoly with my little brother, and he's the banker. I'm going to lose every time. We have got to play hand-to-hand combat with them.
0: Thanks for the call, Alex. Uh, Although I think there's a good reason to believe that Ron DeSantis is not averse to being a rhetorical pugilist either. And perhaps in a way, well, not perhaps, you know, Trump um, is more engaging because stylistically, but but DeSantis is definitely more polished. Oh, right. And when you somebody uh, who texted about having facts roll off the tongue and being, you know, in command of the issue. I mean, that is that is Ron DeSantis, as we've seen him as governor of Florida. And
2: DeSantis is not going to tweet his way out of office. So, um,
0: you know, Trump, I mean, I think there, you know, this new start, the pivot. um, One is how he addresses any potential opponents, including DeSantis. That's going to be very interesting. Two is whether this is a retrospective Trump at a campaign rally or a prospective Trump running for president in twenty twenty four. That will be interesting and impactful. Uh and can he, you know, sort of keep at room temperature uh like when Trump has been at his best in my view. Uh, as a as a presidential candidate or as a president, yeah. where he sticks mainly to sort of the four corners of prepared remarks and is very substantive, he can you know he can make the parenthetical remarks and as he uh, provides uh, his commentary, but but where you know like State of the Union addresses, where he's surprised because he kept it relatively buttoned down, you know, I think as much as uh, some people like the unpredictability. I think right now he needs to convey the ability to provide stability. Right. So we'll see if he chooses to do any of the above. But uh, I, his... think, I think that's what he needs to do if he's going to garner consideration, including from a lot of people. And you're hearing from the people calling the show or texting the show. I voted for Trump at 16 and 20. I supported Trump. I still liked, appreciate what Trump did, but... If you want people to stop saying but after that, uh, those predicate, you know, mm-hmm. the, the predicate of I did all these things and I appreciate all these things, if you want to st- people to stop there and stop saying but, then I think he's got to do some of the things I just suggested.
2: And his former you know, partner, Mike Pence, who has a book out today, he was asked the question, do you want President Trump to run again? Do you
8: believe that Donald Trump should ever be president again?
9: David, I think that's up to the American people. But I think we'll have better choices
0: in the future.
2: And one of the choices will probably be Mike Pence. But well, I don't Yeah, think I mean, that's stronger. sort
0: of a canned question. I mean, what's right. he supposed to say? He's, got, he's, you know, he's standing up a presidential campaign. Of course he thinks there's better choices, including himself. Clay and Wheeling.
13: Good morning, Dan and Amy. Um, I like the Santa's. I like Trump. I'd, uh, I think it would be detrimental to the GOP if they debated each other and just tore each other down. I think the uh, far left in this country is a lot more afraid of Trump than they are DeSantis. And I, I, because of his unpredictability, but yes, Dan, I do agree with you. I think we do need to see some sustainability out of the guy, you know, that, that whole thing is I voted for Trump, but you know, I think we need a, a uh, 2016 Trump, you know, right in the beginning, raw, hard hitting straight to the fact, you know, it will be total chaos. If, uh, He cannot stop talking about the January sixth thing, which he has a habit of doing of bringing up, you know, old stuff out of the past. But uh, you know, I do. I'd say I'd I'd open with, uh, you know, what? I'm not the big guy. I'm not taking ten percent cut. My my kids don't paint, and they're not going for uh, their artwork is not going for a half million dollars. (laughs) And none of my kids have had dental dental surgery to uh, repair their cracked teeth. And uh, there's no. Pictures flying around of any of my kids in their underwear with uh, with wearing a red
0: scarf. Okay, <laughs> all
2: right. Can you imagine? I mean, Crack they'd be all oh, the mainstream media would be all over if that was one of the Trump kids who acted like that.
0: Greg and Schomburg, since he oh, gave hi, us the Checkers yes. speech <laughs> <laughs> reference. Yeah. Hey, Dan and Amy. Okay, here's what he should
3: say. He should he should start with a different tone, and not the ballistic Trump tone, and he should start with young people because that's who he loses. And you should start with basically saying, I wanna set a new tone and a new a new um, plank to young people, because I'm an old person. I'm not gonna be around much longer and neither is my generation, but you are going to be the people that inherit everything that is going on right now. And therefore I'm gonna put some things in front of you right now that you ought to talk about among your peers as it affects you. Number one, the monetary source of the world, why is China? Why is Russia buying up all of this gold? They want to replace the dollar as the, the world currency that has incredible implications for you secondly elections Why is it that we have problems with elections? um We need to reform that the longer as Dan, quote my good friend Dan Prof. the longer the elections go on the the more the the Republicans tend to lose. Russia and China look at what they're doing they're they invaded um, the Ukraine. They're ready to invade Taiwan. That has implications for you. And last but not least, the debt. Look at the tremendous amount of trillions of dollars that has been added in the Biden administration. Talk it over among your friends. It's going to be your life, but I'm standing for you in America first. All right.
0: Thanks for the call, Greg. Well, we got well, a lot of text remarks. messages.
2: Whew. Well, here's the one: what if, what if DeSantis joins him on stage tonight, Dan and Amy? Would that change a lot of people's tunes? <laughs> well, obviously, oh, 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 oh. yeah. That I would mean, be with Checkers know. the cat. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's do a lot of. Fa- I mean, I started with Checkers, <laughs> I guess. So, yeah. 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 DeSantis, sure. DeSantis pens. We get the gang all back yeah. together. <laughs> Everything will be fine. Everybody is, yeah. Uh. Everybody is aligned. He comes out with the entire, uh, you know, ticket yeah. uh, or cabinet set. Uh yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. No, I don't either. That's I, fun, it's fun to think yeah. about. Uh and now for my special guest, Greg in Jefferson Park.
14: Hey, good morning, guys. I think Pence is about done with his uh latest comments. You know, Trump can go against uh DeSantis for the president and then uh down the line basically get out of the race and then DeSantis makes him the vice presidential candidate. And he's got a number of things that he's got to do. One, close the border. Two, bring industry back to this country, manufacturing drugs, you name it. And one of the biggest jobs of his would be to uh, uh, basically drain, not drain the swamp, obliterate the swamp. Get rid of a minimum of a half a million federal workers. Department of Education, gone.
0: Many Wait, of these are you? Are you? Gone. Are you saying? Are you saying? DeSantis and Trump run. DeSantis wins, and then he makes Trump the, his VP.
14: No, I say Trump bows out down the road and then becomes the oh, VP candidate. But that'll okay. never happen because the guy's oh. ego is too big. But that <laughs> yeah. is the winning <laughs> ticket right there, man. All right, no doubt right.
0: about it. All right, thanks, Greg. Uh, I love fantasy politics. Tom in Blue Island. <laughs>
15: Hey, uh, good morning, Dan and Amy. I'd, I'd, I'd want to walk Amy back a little bit on trying to, to get Trump to be somehow apologetic for his uh, behavior, with the exception of, I hope he doesn't go after DeSantis. The, the winning ticket is, without a doubt, Trump and DeSantis, and I think they both, yeah, more Trump, Dan, than uh, DeSantis, they need to realize that. Uh, those two barnstorming the United States, for two years, they're both mega candidates. Dan, I asked you this a while back. I, I still don't see, other than demeanor, policy-wise, anything between the two. So I don't even see like what a debate would look between them. I just hope Trump doesn't attack DeSantis and hopefully they can figure out a way to get together because uh, when do election anomalies stop being anomalies and uh, fact, Dan? So. Hey, I don't want him down. to attack
2: anybody but Biden. And his policies. I don't want to hear about any of that catty stuff. Just stick to the point. Frank Arlington Heights. The
8: girls love Chuckers, and we're, we're not giving back a dog. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but Pretty here's good. something. Pretty good, your last,
8: caller, your, your last caller, you know, so it won't be an issue for debate with them, is, you know, what are, what are the different personnel choices you're going to make, Mr. Trump? Okay, I mean, who did you have in there? Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State. You let um, Jeffrey Sessions decide what he wanted to be when he would have been a better Department of Homeland Security. Gary Cohen, Anthony Scaramucci. I mean, there are just a whole bunch of other ones. I remember that other, uh, forget the the, girl, the woman he had as uh, Secretary of Homeland Security later. Um, some of the defense secretaries. Horrible, horrible yeah. personnel decisions. And how are you going to increase the base? One of the reasons that I was attracted to Trump, he was a non traditional Republican, yet he was combative and he went after the old guard in the Republican Party. And he went after the Democrats well, too. But then I thought, once he gets in, he's going to learn how to divide and conquer. To learn how to work with the Democrats where he can. You can't just, you know, be the big human bowling ball and roll over everybody all the time. Sometimes you have to have a little bit of finesse in your game. So what are you going to do differently in terms of your tactics if you are president a second term? Or is this going to be more of the same nonsense where the country is consistently divided? You have to grow the Republican Party. They haven't really won a majority election since 88, I, I think pushed it in a little bit in 2004. But what are you going to do to grow the party? What are you going to do to convince people that we have better policies rather than just yelling at everybody all the time? That's right. your point of debate between DeSantis and Trump. Have a all great right.
0: day. Thanks for the call, Frank. Also well-considered remarks from Frank as well as uh, Greg from Schaumburg. We appreciate all the calls.
1: The stories you need to know to start your day. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. On AM 560. The answer.
14: Insert Democrat Socialist here.
2: Runs the Democratic House law for 30 plus years of running. He's promising this and he's stealing that. Where can you get that kind of money? He's using your house like his own piggy bank, gang, 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 gang. You want to know by now? You can pay off your house
3: here in Illinois. Can never keep up with the taxes.
6: Oh,
2: how it's always been the plan. To have a taxpayer pay, no doubt. Not a matter of if, anymore, but when.
0: You moving out. Top of the morning, Dan and out. Amy. That theme music it means it's time for a weekly conversation with Ted Dabrowski, president of Wirepoints.org, all things Illinois policy and politics related. But first, a Chicago man attacked, repeatedly sexually assaulted, and threatened to kill a woman who was temporarily living with him until the nearly naked victim managed to escape and flag down a Chicago police officer.
2: Let me guess, was he on electronic monitoring?
0: Mm, On bail for a pending aggravated DUI that he repeatedly failed to show up in court for. He's the 47th person accused of killing or shooting or attempting to kill or shoot someone in Chicago while awaiting trial for a felony this year. The alleged crimes involve at least 85 victims, 21 of whom died. Now, that was Friday. A Chicago man shot and killed his girlfriend while on electronic monitoring, then ran out of the house so he could get to court on time for a hearing. The woman's three-year-old daughter told police she saw this person kill her mom. Poor baby. He is the 48th person accused of killing or shooting or attempting to kill or shoot someone in Chicago while awaiting trial for a felony this year. The alleged crimes involve at least, count with me, 86 victims, 22 of whom died.
2: Uh, please tell me there's no more.
0: Well, that's that's as of yesterday. So, oh, you know, so, yeah. It's early on Tuesday, so we still have time. It's
2: snowing, so we have a better chance.
0: Uh, do we? The um, only difference between... What we have now and what's coming is we won't have to worry about the pesky electronic monitoring or bail for individuals like the two I just mentioned. That's your Pritzker Purge law. And uh, it's coming January 1. I know there's the court case in Kankakee Circuit Court, and I know that's going to be decided next month. And I know there's a good chance the Kankakee County judge is going to declare it unconstitutional. In fact, that's what I think is going to happen. But then it will be appealed up to the Supreme Court which has a 5-2 Democrat advantage, two of whom newly elected justices financed by Governor Pritzker in their campaigns this past cycle. And what's the posture of the supermajority Democrat socialist leadership in the House, Welch and Harmon in the House and the Senate, respectively? Have they indicated that they see any problem with the Pritzker purge law, that they want to scrap it and start over? No, they have not. For more on this, now Ted Dabrowski joins us. Ted, thanks for being with us again.
16: Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Amy.
0: So we're in veto session this week. How exciting. Uh, I know there was pronouncements from Pritzker, oh, you yeah, know, clean up some language. Oh, we'll take a look at it. Oh, this and that. As he was getting um, hammered on the issue, he started to modify his position and respond you know to the claims the legitimate claims the actual truthful claims that have been advanced by prosecutors around the state but i mean is there any prospect other than through the courts that you're going to see a change in this law and even if it were declared unconstitutional then what should we expect the general assembly will do
16: yeah so you can can predict no changes hardly any changes so the veto session it was meant to or was meant to improve some of this uh, safety act. But uh, even though the pressure Pritzker felt and certainly your, your ads were a big part of that, um, it, you know, put pressure on him, he had to respond. He could not ignore it. And so he responded. But now that you've seen the results of the elections, I think he'll be bold enough to say, you know, hardly, hardly make any maybe a few clarification things and stuff like that. You know, things that they can all then celebrate that they've done a great job, but uh, they're not going to touch this stuff. And, you know, you're hitting the ankle bracelet stuff just a minute ago. Um, you know that's that's one of the crazy parts of this of this new law, right? Where where the um, the bad guys have 48 hours to be AWOL on their on their uh, bracelets before they can they can be chased, and that's that's you know again that's the kind of stuff that's that's passing in the state, and uh, you know I think we're just getting a preview of, of Illinois becoming like Cook County where those kind of things already happen.
0: Well, and, um, we also are operating on as as many sheriffs and prosecutors tr- tried to warn us during the election cycle. We're also operating under this fantasy that there is the personnel to chase down all these individuals that are going to be uh that are going to to walk on their own recognizance any more than they chase down people on electronic monitoring who are violating the terms of their electronic monitoring. There just isn't the personnel. And with respect to the power structure in the in Cook County and the state, there isn't the willpower either. No, there's not.
16: And you, all you need to do is look at the arrest rates in Chicago
0: and, you know, look at look at the sentencing. Look at
16: look at all these things that have been just a dramatic failure in Chicago. And, and you know, you've got the CWB does a great job of, of, you know, chronicling. You've got all these bad guys out there. They're they're, you know, multiple time felons and they're out on the street and uh Look what's happening. and you know, That's why I think there's, there's hope in the lawsuits from, from all the 58 different uh, states' attorneys in Illinois that have been combined into one one lawsuit. Yeah, but he, the that, de- you know- Here,
0: here's the deal with that, though. I mean, again, listen to what the people who authored the legislation are saying. Listen to what the Speaker of the Illinois House is saying. Listen to what Don Harmon isn't saying. Sure. Um, Cam Buckner is running for mayor. He's touting the Safety Act as an achievement Um, The the Black Caucus in the General Assembly, under the stewardship of Chris Welch in the House, they have they have demonstrated no appetite to make any changes. So it's ruled unconstitutional. And let's say the Supreme Court uh, upholds that. Well, then they go back in January and they clean up some of the language because a lot of the arguments are process arguments or effectively like the one subject rule. And they limit or they pass a series of bills that are that comport with the one subject rule, and we get the same thing. I mean, as you say, they're nothing if not emboldened by November eighth election results.
16: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The question is, can we get them to? Can we create? And this is a, this is the collective we, whatever's left of us, we who who point out all the flaws. And my colleague Matt Rosenberg's done a great job of a piece we put out this morning about what should be changed, but won't be changed. And, uh, there's so much, there's so much bad about it. That's why we say, forget tweaking it, forget trying to fix it. It should be, it should just be scrapped and started over. But, uh, you know, those are all wishful thinking, uh, comments. Uh, yeah, you're right. I think the question is, can we just make this thing? And, and, and you know, you, you tried really hard with that. Now, you know, it didn't stick, I guess, in some ways, because there are other issues that came up, but, uh, but it's, it's becoming pretty obvious how bad it is. And, uh, again, yeah, I, I don't know why. We well, no, the election's yeah, over, though. The election's yeah, over, he won. Yeah, and we can't extrapolate this Chicago and Cook County into the rest of the state. People can't see it. And, you know, sadly, it's going to take real sadness and murders and deaths and all that to kind of make, make it come to life.
2: But, I, I mean, I was there, Cam Buckner, he was going to come on the show. I've got his cell phone number. He's ready to come on. I'm like, defend this, please. And he said, I, I will, there will be no... Uh, nothing, nothing amended from this. This is the way it's going to be. And I don't care what Pritzker says, you know, cause it was during his election that nothing's going to be changed.
16: Yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they can, they can still, they can still do a couple of small things to clarify and like they'll, they what? will act like those are wins and that's, that's it. That's all they'll do. They don't need to do more. Sadly.
0: Uh, so, uh, with, uh, them back in, in, se- in session this week, you've got, uh, leadership votes for the Republican caucuses. Uh, there's, uh, uh, two candidates, as I understand, on the House side to replace Jim Durkin, and uh, Dan McConkey is going to be gone as uh, as the super minority leader in the Senate. He's uh, going to be replaced by John Curran, state senator from DuPage County. We'll see if he can hold his seat next go around. Eight of the 60 state reps who have some part of uh, suburban, the suburbs, suburban cook and the collars, Only 8 out of 60 are Republicans, 15%. As I mentioned yesterday, the lowest number of members in any caucus since World War II, 39 in the House, 33% of the the eight times since World War II. I'll just keep going. From the eight times since World War II that a caucus has had fewer than 40% of the seats in their chamber, five of those have been under Jim Durkin over the last decade. Five of the eight times since World War II. And what I see from the Republican Party, uh, seat warmers like Steve Reich in McHenry County, who only won with 54 percent of the vote. He's one of the eight that are left. And a lot of those eight are vulnerable in 2024, depending on what the Re- Republican Party does, both nationally and locally. Steve Reich is one of those who is you know carrying on about uh, what the Republican Party needs to do and so on and so forth when he's been a seat warmer in what used to be a safe seat. Increasingly not. And he voted, as so many have, to advance the Democrat socialist agenda on many occasions, like, for example, when he voted for the gas tax increase. Why did the gas tax increase and the income tax increase? Why didn't those play for Republicans in this cycle? Maybe because uh, Jim Durkin and uh, structured a vote where Republicans pass the gas tax increase, despite Democrat supermajorities, because they want Republicans on the bill, too, to make it bipartisan. Maybe because it was Bruce Rauner who promised to lower the state income tax to three percent. And instead, at the end of his term, it was four point nine five percent. He increased it again with Republicans coming over in service of Democrats to make it look bipartisan. Maybe those are the issues where, where we've muddied the waters such that the Republican Party has no definition. And now we're listening to or, or we'll see if the Republican Party is listening to those handful of legislators, literally now, who are left, who were responsible for the muddying of waters, who cheerleaded the muddying of waters.
16: Yeah, the, the more they muddied muddy the water, waters, the more they lost votes and and uh, positions, and then the, the the more they muddied again. You know, they don't understand that the strategy they've been they've been taking. It's actually made it worse every single time. And if, if, you know, guys like Reich are saying the same things, well, they'll just perpetuate it and get even worse. And, you know, what's fascinating about all this, too, is that, you know, everybody, I, I laugh, but all those people who thought Illinois would be better after Mike Madigan was gone, you know, True. this machine is alive and well and even stronger. Um, you know, these guys, are, the, 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 the Democrats are really smart and good, and, and uh, Republicans have no idea of how to counter it. And what's, what's going to be, I mean, I, and I speak from the reform side, uh, what's going to be sad is that they just put more Republicans in charge, you know. And, and you know, both McConkie and and Durkin didn't keep Republicans off of Amendment One. You know, McConkie yeah, right. allowed eleven eleven of his eighteen senators to vote for Amendment One, sixty percent of them. So you know, how can they expect to be differentiated? You know, if they if they're going to if they're going to vote like Democrats, well, the people will always take take a real Democrat to a to a fake one. So. Um, the, the strategy doesn 't work, and I remember Bill Brady telling me that he had to support the gas tax and uh when he was the leader but those are those are destructive destructive policies, and so they you know they can only blame themselves and until they think in reform orientation, be strong and stand up and and, and you know, use the bully pulpit to, 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 to show how kitchen table issues haven 't gone away, how crime isn 't going away, how corruption is still the same i mean they they have so many strong arguments to make and, and so many positions to to support. Uh, but instead, they just kind of fold and go with the uh, with the
0: with the, uh, with the other side. Or they say nothing. Yeah. You know, they, or they say I, nothing. I, yeah. yeah, there's the same people who, like, like so many, decried uh, Darren Bailey as the nominee for governor. Well, you, you said nothing during covid. You're still saying nothing. You're still saying nothing as we're setting uh, an, uh, an international record for consecutive executive orders, emergency executive orders. You said nothing, despite what we know, what we knew then and what we have the evidence to support now. Would happen if you locked down the schools and there were other examples, counter examples to follow if you wanted to at least make the argument of where we should go. But you said nothing. Then you show up and you think we've got 50 million dollars to ram through somebody that we want as the. The, the, the entire power power structure, such as it is, not much power, uh, as the nominee, and that nominee gets pantsed in the Republican primary. And then they complain about, oh, you can't win general elections. Well, you can't win primaries because you don't have a party, because you don't have a party that has faith in your leadership. And so I, it's, just, it's just fascinating to listen to people who all they've done is curse the darkness, Madigan this, Pritzker that, conservatives this, Uh, Continue to, you know, curse the darkness as the means to avoid any responsibility for what happens on their watch. And if you think that trying to offload accountability to people who don't have leadership positions in the official party structure, if you think that's going to be compelling, if you think that's a party building exercise, well, then the last decade has proven just how wrong you are. Yeah and
16: there's a, c- a couple things Dan like you said they, they haven't stood up at all or strongly enough or or as a caucus and really stood together and and opposed all the bad things that happen but they also haven't been very good at being forced off. uh you know they yes. don't give a they don't give a path a vision of what an Illinois should be what it can be what it used to be and uh there's a there's a lot of good messaging out there at least to start winning people over but uh instead what's happening is that they're you know, I, I wouldn't say they're necessarily repelling people but they're certainly not they're they're losing people and, and they're losing people that shouldn't be lost and you just said out of out of all the suburbs how people have fled um you know every you know we're, we're in the and, and, relen- and relentlessly
0: them. messaging and relentlessly it's, messaging yeah, and every, relentless, day. Yeah, relentless. every, every day every single day why 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 didn't everyone know about the safety act as soon as it was passed why? Why? Why wasn't? Why weren't press releases? Read why weren't? Well, yeah. Why weren't press releases coming out from every Republican legislative office? Time day after day after day leading into the 2022 election. Why aren't they telling success stories of opportunity scholarship kids with the tax credit scholarship program? I mean, they yeah, just uh, they just they uh, just show up on uh, you know uh, uh, 90 days before primary and 90 days before general election and hope somebody you know delivers them from on high.
16: That's what they do. Well. Well Dan you know so I think here's how they they need to start thinking about the next 4 years. All these kitchen table issues haven't gone away. They're going to come back in a big way. So uh you know with so. with the safety act in place crime is going to pick up. With amendment 1 these labor these labor unions are going to be so emboldened they're going to they're going to demand everything in the sky. Yeah. So taxes are going to go up. Uh parents are going to see their rights totally destroyed uh in the teachers contracts with all the sex ed and transgender and all that. So this is an amazing time. I'm <laughs> amazing. I use that word. Um, this is a time for them to figure out what that new messaging is, because because the Democrats, with all their super majorities, with all their, you know, they're going to celebrate like crazy and go crazy and make this place even worse. And so that's the opportunity. Can they figure it out or not? Uh, the, the the Republicans will see.
0: Ted Jabrowski, President Wirepoints dot org, all things Illinois policy related. Ted, thanks as always.
2: Thank you, guys. Thank you. And he joined us on our Turnkey Pro Answer Line.
1: Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 Mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560 the Answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. Trump is expected to announce at Mar a Lago that he's running for president tonight, but maybe not because. What? January 6th committee member. Yeah. Professional hysteric and conspiracy theorist Jamie Raskin from Maryland. He suggests that there may be something else afoot. He did over the weekend on Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, Mar- Margaret Brennan playing the dutiful, useful idiot that the D.C. press corps is so apt to play.
10: Election deniers didn't prevail in the key battlegrounds, but CBS tallied it, and at least 155
2: House Republicans in the new Congress have raised unfounded doubts about the validity or integrity of the 2020 election. These are going to be your colleagues that you will be working with. What
17: change is that going to
2: affect in the work you
17: do? Well, that's a statement about the political contamination of the GOP by Donald Trump, and again... Um, you know, Kevin McCarthy and other leaders within the Republican Party are now required to make a decision about whether they're going to try to rid themselves of Donald Trump um, and his toxic influence on the party. But these uh,
2: 155 House Republicans are his constituency. Kevin McCarthy, if he wants to be leader, will need to consider. Yes. The well, needs it's of a everyone. real problem for,
17: for yeah. Kevin McCarthy now because um, there are certain uh, pro-Trumpists within his House caucus. Who refuse to accept that he's really with Trump, and they want to get rid of McCarthy. And some of them, they have names very early in the alphabet, like Biggs, and they might just vote for Trump when they, you know, take the roll call for Speaker. So we know that the the hard right Freedom Caucus people are in search of another candidate, and one potential candidate uh, whose name has been floated is Donald Trump himself, because.
2: Donald Trump's going to be Speaker of the House? Yeah, Donald Trump's going to announce tonight from Mar-a-Lago that
0: he's running for Speaker. That's according to Jamie Raskin, (laughs) who's an election inventor. (laughs) Give
2: me a break. These guys. This is comical. And uh,
0: and then also, too, Margaret Brennan, the 155 election deniers. These are your colleagues. How can you work with these Martians? Um, Again, an election denier is anyone, according to them, who raises any questions about what they see in terms of election counting in places like Maricopa County. Um, just like an insurrectionist is anyone who voted for Donald Trump. Even if they've never even been to Washington, D.C., much less were there on January 6th. And, and, and the question is, how can Jamie Raskin work with them? Of course, the, the converse is never asked by the Margaret Brennans of the world. For more on all this, we're pleased to be joined by Dave Seminara, former diplomat, author of Footsteps of Federer and Mad Travelers, A Tale of Wanderlust Greed and the Quest to Reach the Ends of the Earth. Dave, thanks for joining us again. Appreciate it.
18: Good morning, Dan and Amy. Thanks for having me back on your show.
0: What do you expect tonight, uh, Trump, to announce he's running for Speaker of the House (laughs) or President?
18: Oh, boy. Not Speaker of the House, unfortunately. I don't know. Not that I wanted to be Speaker of the House either, but, you know, I'm I'm in a bad um, mental space after the election. I'm still angry about what took place. Mm -hmm. We had an opportunity. If we could not win, not just win, I'm not talking about a three-seat majority in the House or any nonsense like this. If we could not absolutely clean the Democrats' clock at a time like this, when are you ever going to win? And we we hog, you know, I'm in Florida here. We hogged the entire red wave all for ourselves here. We did our part here in Florida. But what happened around the rest of the country? Incredible. I mean, the polls actually got it wrong in our favor for once. I mean, I was looking back at the polls again this morning. I mean, the real clear politics average of polls in a lot of these races, like, you know, Carrie Lake in Arizona. My God, she her real clear politics average was like a four point. She was going to win by four points. That Oz. All the polls were showing Oz was going to win and he lost. I mean this is a time right now where there's got to be some soul searching that happens. I mean, I wrote a column the other day about the reaction from different Republicans and Democrats. I mean, Rona McDaniel, chairwoman of the GOP, likened the the election to the GOP winning the Super Bowl. Seriously? Winning the Super Bowl? But there's so much to delu- everyone well, is well, delusional. We well, need well, to we
2: need to master the mail-in ballots. That's what Republicans need to master in order to win again. Don't you think?
18: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's part of it. But, I mean, look, um, I voted by mail here in Florida. <laughs> A lot of Republicans here in Florida voted by mail. Um, and unlike what Anna Navarro and all of these other liars on CNN and MSNBC said, no, it is not hard to vote by mail here in Florida. I mean, Anna Navarro was on CNN you know, trying to explain away DeSantis' 20-point win right. by right. claiming that he made it really hard for people to vote by mail. No, it's not hard at all. But we don't just mass mail ballots to every person in the state as they do in Nevada and other states, which... Yeah, I mean, that's an issue, but I don't think we can just just focus on that. I mean, clearly, there's other stuff at work here. Well, part of it is fallout.
0: Yeah, I mean, others part of it, though, you know, on the flip side, uh, I know Trump is catching a lot of heat. Uh, Some of it, I think, is deserved, but but it's not the entire story some of this, you know, is maybe difficult, but this is what we have to reconcile is, as Rick Scott said, our people didn't come out. And we see that in, in a number of states, not everywhere, but in a number of states and you know, that's, uh, you know, what I saw in Illinois. That's a lot of people who voted for Trump in 16 and 20 and didn't come out in 18 and didn't come out again in 2022.
18: Listen, uh, it's amazing. Here in Florida, we had 61 percent turnout for registered Republican and 48 percent turnout for registered Democrats. Why is that? Because we love our governor. We're excited about him. We're right. excited about actually going to the polls and casting a ballot for him. I mean, I've talked to people, I've got relatives and friends in so many other states. People were not excited about the Republican candidates. In fact, some of them, some Republicans I know downright dislike them. So candidate quality obviously is a huge issue. As we talked about, you know, Trump, I mean, the baggage of Trump and also abortion. I mean, look, here in Florida, I mean, I'm pro-life. Don't get me wrong. But here in Florida, our law is 15 weeks, right? Abortion is allowed until 15 weeks, which obviously pro-choice people, they don't like it. But it's not so you know so strict that it's driving people to the polls and they're you know they're furious about it. It's a compromise, you know what I mean? And I feel like. If we want to be completely uncompromising on issues like abortion, and believe me, again, I'm pro-life,
0: but we're
18: going to have a fallout to that.
0: Yeah, but I, I think that's a lot more complicated because I, I don't think that's the case. I don't think there were – I mean, maybe there are examples, but for every example you can give me of somebody who's uncompromising, I can give you a counter. But Lee Zeldin is pro-life in New York State, and he had the best performance of a Republican in New York State in five in, in almost – uh, uh, biggest GOP vote across the state in almost five decades, best performance since Pataki won, you know, 25 years ago. Um, uh, you know, Mike DeWine is pro-life, and he signed a heartbeat bill, too, and he won by 25 points, uh, as you mentioned, DeSantis and so on and so forth. So I think it's more complicated than just invoking abortion and and, and I, I know you're not suggesting this, but a lot of people just invoke abortion. You can't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't say anything about it. And then you just seed all the ground in terms of defining that issue and who's the extremist to the left.
18: No, I'm just saying it's part of the picture. It's part of the puzzle. To me, yeah. Trump baggage is a big part of it. Candidate equality is a big part of it. Abortion is a big part of it. And when I say abortion, I don't even necessarily mean in a specific state. But I think the states that, that passed very strict abortion laws after Dobbs. Even not just the people didn't have just ramification in that state, but it sent a message around the country, right? And it allowed Democrats to portray us as extreme. And clearly, it drove a lot of young people to the polls, as well as this bogus, yeah. you know, yeah. the I, ex- except, ex- issue. Except,
0: except, that, except nationally, that's not true. Nationally, the a vote under 30 represented 12% of the overall vote, which is right in the sweet spot of where it normally is in midterms 11 to 13% the last four.
2: I mean, well, I, there's what just, know, but what was, it, was the issue was driving them to the polls?
0: It doesn't matter. You're saying you're saying there was like a massive turnout of under thirties that propelled Democrats. Well, that's not true as a proportion of the overall turnout.
18: It, it's just so more complicated was, than what people want to election. believe. No, I, I agree with you, Dan. You make good points. But here's what, what I thought was interesting. Before the election, when they were asking people, "What's your top issue?" you know, is inflation by a mile in in abortion with single digits. Then I saw, you know, uh, exit polls afterwards, a couple of them, one of them said 27% of the voters said abortion was their key issue. Mm -hmm. And then another poll, it was something like that too, 25%. So something happened there. There was a big disconnect between the polls before the election and then the actual exit polls. So I, I hear what you're saying. You're right. It wasn't all just, can't just blame it on young people. But Clearly, there was a variety of different things that happened here. And moving forward, the key thing is where do we move forward here? Heads have got to roll.
17: Well, I mean, you know, okay. I'm
18: here in Florida. I'm not a, I'm not a part of the Desantis campaign, but right now there's going to be a civil war in the Republican Party. It's going to be a battle here. And those two yeah. I don't see a path for Trump to win in 2024. Leaving yeah. aside debating yeah. all of his flaws and everything, I, I don't see the math. That's my issue. Is how do you get a? He's going to be a 78 year old candidate. With unfavorables, every poll in the world you look at is unfavorable. Somewhere in the best poll, his unfavorable. Let's say fifty-two or fifty-three, and in the worst, his unfavorable. Is like fifty-eight or sixty. What is the math for Trump to win in twenty twenty-four? I don't see it. Well, is there I, anything I the he mass could for him to get the nomination? I don't see the math for him to win. But mm-hmm. besides it?
2: the math, is there anything he could say tonight during his primetime speech, which will be eight o'clock central time, that would convince you otherwise?
18: Nothing in the world, because the problem is he doesn't have to convince me. I'm a Republican, right? I vote Republican. He's got to convince independents. And unfortunately, people have already made up their mind about Trump. This is the problem with him. No mm-hmm. one in America is still undecided on Trump. No one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I th- those are legitimate questions to raise and uh, problems that he has to address and be persuasive. Uh, there's no question about that, particularly with uh, somebody uh, – you know, poised to challenge him where there is great enthusiasm, and that's of course DeSantis. Uh, I wanted something else though, you mentioned candidate quality, and I'm hearing this a lot too, and that to me is another complicated variable because uh, Katie Hobbs and John Fetterman were such great candidates. Oh, no, I don't no. think so. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and you you embedded it with Fetterman. I read your piece in The Spectator yes, about being a phone banker for Fetterman. <laughs> how, how, give it, tell us that experience. And people weren't excited about Fetterman
18: either. Believe me, I, I made calls on behalf of both Republicans and Democrats just to do a little oppo research and such, right? And, yeah, I made calls to voters in Pennsylvania asking about Fetterman. And it was very interesting. There wasn't you know, was enthusiasm for Fetterman. I mean, it wasn't like people were excited about Fetterman as a candidate either. But I think Oz was perceived as a carpetbagger. Republicans didn't turn out for him. And the big thing that I think people are not talking about is you got to look at the voter registration in Pennsylvania. The Democrats exactly. are starting with, I just looked this up, a 550,000 registration. And there's 550,000 more Democrats than Republicans in, in the state. So it's, Pennsylvania is an uphill climb.
0: Right. At least
2: Fetterman debated his candidate, where Katie Hobbs stayed in the basement, literally, and refused to to debate Kerry Lake. And it's, it turns right. out, guess what? She lost by twenty thousand points votes, and that's exactly what President Trump lost by. She
18: gets to run. Well, her, she got to run the election, though. I mean, a Secretary of State—that's a nice advantage, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Well, but the, the 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 point you make about Pennsylvania, too. You know, we we start uh, the, the the press corps wants us to believe that these races start like, you know, everybody starts at the same place uh, in the race. And th- here's the, this just in, Pennsylvania is a blue state. And so, you know, it certainly leans blue normally these days. And um, what we saw, I would argue, is that it was a rally around the flag, which is why only one statewide incumbent in the entire country lost. And that was Sisolak, the governor of Nevada. One incumbent lost in these volatile times. Yeah. Rally around the flag, red got redder and blue got bluer. I mean, between DeSantis, DeWine and Abbott, and if you throw in like Lee in Tennessee, I mean, those four statewide totals represent about 80 percent of the Republican vote majority in the country. So, you know, yeah, red getting redder, blue getting bluer. That's part of the discussion, too.
18: Yeah. I, well, here's what I want Republicans to focus like a laser on moving forward. Women. I mean, how much longer yes. are we going to lose by eight or ten points in the female vote? We can't keep going like this. Here in Florida, what DeSantis did really wisely to capture a lot of mom votes is really focus on education. I mean, he expanded school choice. School choice is popular. Republicans yes. do not talk about it enough or advocate for it enough. He had he kept the schools open. Mothers were very grateful about that. Many Republicans around the country forgot about the pandemic, forgot about even raising it mm. as an issue, how our schools were closed down. I mean, we've got to – we. Got to at least perform like close to 50 50 with the female vote if we could get close to 50 50 we will dominate as long as we keep losing eight or ten by eight or ten points among the female vote which they vote more than men do i looked at most of the recent exit polls women were like 52 percent of the electorate we can't keep losing by eight or ten percent with that yeah
0: but it's it's, it's,
18: like trump women don't like donald trump His ratings amongst women are horrible
0: also also more complicated because it's not women it's unmarried women that's really what it is yeah Unmarried. Yeah, women. Well, there's a lot of those in America. I know. I know. But I mean, but I mean, it's in terms of if you want to make an appeal, then you have to look at where the real disconnect is. And it's unmarried women. And, you know, yeah. that, and again, that's a complicated conversation. All right. Dave Seminara, former diplomat, author Thank of footsteps.
18: I'm sorry if I was very gloomy.
0: No, that's, no, no, no it's, it's all good. I'll do, uh, <laughs> Dave, he's also the author of Footsteps of Federer. And Mad Traveler's: a tale of wanderlust, greed, and the quest to reach the ends of the earth. Dave Seminara, thanks as always. Appreciate it.
18: Thank you, guys. Take care. Bye-bye.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our turnkey.proanswer line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the
18: more
1: you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. At AM 560, The Answer. The biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM five sixty, the answer.
0: Top of the morning, Dan and Amy. There's nothing more entertaining than an international climate conference. COP twenty seven, this UN-sponsored confab, and Sharm el (laughs) Sheikh is occurring. You know how you know because four hundred private jets arrived in Egypt for the conference. To decry people's carbon footprints.
2: Oh, uh, the elitist snobs! Give me a break. It's
0: it's so entertaining, and of course, uh, Biden is there to offer mm. bon mots to she, and she's there to pretend like he gives a rat's ass about uh, global temperature. <laughs> uh, and and of course, the climate cultists are out in force. Listen to this crew that went to the top of Mount Sinai to symbolically break. Stone tablets, a la Moses, coming down from on high.
18: The climate premises have not been kept worldwide, including in Israel. Whoa. Wow. When it
1: comes to the
18: leaders of the world who are gathering at COP27, There's a lot of talk, there's some action, but there's not enough to be able to keep the world to one and a half degrees on the warming. The whole world needs to cut our emissions by half by 2030
9: and they're not yet. We take these green commandments, we look down to Sharm el-Sheikh
18: and we're not satisfied. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!
10: Hallelujah!
0: Hallelujah! Hallelujah. All hail Mother Gaia, but it's not a cult.
2: Oh, not at all. No, it's not. It's
0: not a cult, and uh, part of the uh, Sharmel Shakedown, as people are calling it, appropriately reparations first oh. world reparations to countries like venezuela yeah oh really? maduro's maduro sure everybody get in line maduro's in on this he destroys his country he drives what five million people out of venezuela and
2: they're all coming here yeah. and
0: uh, he wants reparations for the first world's impact on global climate i mean they got a racket going boy don't they for more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Emmett Penny, editor of Grid Brief, a newsletter on fossil fuels, renewables, nuclear, and the grid. Contributing editor at Compact Magazine, and host of the Nuclear Barbarians podcast. Well, that's a good name for a podcast. Emmett Penny, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it.
19: Hey, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Can can uh, those uh, individuals at the top of Mount Sinai can can they get an amen from you?
19: Uh, not at all. I uh, I don't go in for golden calves. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. Well, I
2: hope they cleaned up after themselves. They left a lot of garbage behind.
0: Yes, the broken yes. green tablets. Well, they
2: didn't take the garbage with them.
0: So uh, what can we expect coming out of this uh, momentous conference, COP27, with all of these heads of state?
19: A lot of press releases, mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's about it. I mean, you know, I have a friend, I have a few friends that are there right now, and one of them is a... Uh, nuclear advocate that used to work with me uh, when we both worked for Mr. Michael Schellenberger. And one thing she pointed out is that um, even the countries that have a huge, robust nuclear program aren't featuring nuclear in any of their displays of how they're going to solve climate change. Actually, the only country that's doing that seems to be the United Arab Emirates.
0: Right, and that's because, I mean, I, I think I know why, but develop that for us. Why wouldn't they want to profile their, their, the, the solution to their energy needs?
19: Well, because it basically makes the entire activist class, the NGO class, and the parasitic renewables developers irrelevant. Renewables can't compete with nuclear uh, on a technical basis at all. But it's been demonized for so long by the green left that uh, they are now painting themselves into a corner by fragilizing their own societies with renewables, as we see in places like Germany, um, and shutting down nuclear plants. And so that's why they're not putting it forward. I would also add that it's probably also because they tend to be, well, NGO people and bureaucrats, so they're cowards.
2: Well, how much renewable energy do we use here in the United States? I mean, if you ever drive to Palm Springs, you see that whole, you know, wind farm. We have them on I-55 and at certain places. Are they effective at all?
19: Uh, I mean, to some degree, technically, there is, I don't think, any place in the country where wind operates more than 45 percent of the time, and the average capacity performance for Uh, solar nationwide, is 24% of the time. So that's what you get.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound like it's going to be enough to power the world's largest economy, just, you know, back of the envelope (laughs) here.
19: No, not at all, especially because you don't get to pick which 24% or 45% of the time that is. I say that it's like running a Rube Goldberg (laughs) machine on rigged coin tosses.
0: tosses. Well, um, Antonio... Uh, Guterres, who is the Secretary General, uh, he's a former Socialist Party Prime Minister of Portugal, and obviously we want to tie our lot to socialists from Portugal. That makes sense. We're on a we're on a highway climate. We're on a highway to climate hell, invoking ACDC, uh, and it's either a climate solidarity pact or a collective suicide pact. That's the sort of measured, thoughtful uh, rhetoric we're getting from these deep thinkers in Egypt.
19: Yeah, I mean, I just think that's completely irresponsible, not just because it's wrong. There is no scenario that has human extinction uh, in it, in the IPCC, which is the major committee that does the science on climate and stuff like that. But it's also demoralizing for the public to hear that your society isn't going to exist. I think that there's this idea that fear is going to bring people together when, in fact, it does the opposite. It turns them into survivalists who don't value their own civilization.
0: Well, fear and shaming. I mean, if it's fear yeah, and shaming absolutely. has worked, it's worked so well on so many other policy fronts in terms of silencing dissent. They figure, why wouldn't it work with climate uh, politics as well?
19: Yeah, and they've been doing it for a long, long time with climate. I actually think that uh, a lot of the stuff that we saw happened during and after COVID. Um, you know, there was institutional path dependency for that type of uh, shaming and and fear mongering built up over the last 20, 30 years of the climate movement.
0: And now um, how excited we sh- should we be about um, this climate gender equity fund that uh, Biden has launched uh recently to advance women-led climate solutions it's not uh, you know a, and you got what 120 billion dollars for john podesta to pass out to uh the connected to his friends so you know the 120 billion dollars from the uh what they called infrastructure sort of backdoor green new deal so we're going to also focus on making sure that women are leading the climate solutions here is that important um,
19: I mean I guess it depends on how excited you are to see an art installation from Marina Abramovich. I mean, I <laughs> you know I don't not really that know excited. what any, not yeah, that excited. I don't really know yeah. what any of that means. I mean, I don't I don't think that they could tell you either. You know, I mean this is just, it's just retail politics. That's all that's happening there. You know, like the climate scenarios or the, the climate solutions that are all renewables based, that's just conference BS and then the sort of women-led, whatever they're saying about that, that's all just them helping their friends, like you said. I mean, there's nothing to really expect from here. There's no real seriousness with which we're dealing with this issue uh, on any level. Um, And that's a real shame, I think. It's a missed opportunity for America to be a real leader in uh, how we decide energy policy globally.
0: You know, you mentioned Michael Schellenberger, and um, he's done such uh, interesting work over over many years now as an environmental activist. And then, more recently, after a couple years ago, when he issued that mea culpa about his participation in environmental hysteria, and really just con- continues to drill down on the actual science and the data and what we understand—not just about climate change, but other environmental issues—and just be just be you know intellectually curious and as thoughtful and honest as he can be with what we know to be true versus what we don't exactly know or we don't exactly understand. I wonder how he is being treated within those uh political and policy circles in which he used to uh in which he used to operate after that mea culpa and his his willingness to be a heretic.
19: Well, I've seen a little bit of it and, you know, Obviously, I'm friends with Michael. I love the guy. And I really support what he's doing. And he's, you know, he's basically like an independent progressive,
17: you know, like those are his
19: actual politics. And so how they respond to Michael, and this goes back to your your shaming thing, is I've seen people like without any sense of irony call him a right wing nationalist, which is like the last (laughs) thing I would ever ascribe to Michael Schellenberger of all people. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. They don't want to entertain his arguments. They don't want to think deeply about what they're doing. They want to protect what they have. That's the best way to think about what's happening with this climate stuff, is they're protecting the patronage networks that they've developed. That's really what that
0: politics is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's a good summation. Emmett Penny, editor of Grid Brief, newsletter on fossil fuels, renewables, nuclear, and the grid, contributing editor at Compact Magazine and host of the Nuclear Barbarians podcast. Emmett Penny, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it.
19: It was a real pro- pleasure. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you. And he joined us on our Answer line.
1: There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one, Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer.
0: Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank.